All right, 2 Samuel chapter number 6 in your Bibles, if you would please. Let's go ahead and grab the text, 2 Samuel chapter number 6. And when you find it, if you would go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God and we'll get into the message here. 2 Samuel chapter number 6, the Bible says in verse number 1, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark upon a new cart and brought it into the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah unto this day, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Let's go ahead and pray one more time, if you would, please, and then we'll talk about the message this morning. Father, I love you. I pray now as we look into this passage of Scripture that you'd give me clarity of thought, uh, that you would order my thoughts properly, and that I would be able to expound from this passage what it is you've put in here. Help me not to add to it or take away from it. Now, I pray you'd make this passage of Scripture a help to us. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you can be seated. We've been talking here for about three or four weeks now on things that do damage to the church. And I think it's important to look at this subject because I don't want to see this church damaged. Uh, I don't want to see your walk with Jesus Christ hurt. I've seen a lot throughout my life in church, grown up in church, raised in church. From nine months before I was even born, I was sitting on a church pew. (laughs) I spent my life in church. And I'll say the reality of it is that you get hurt in church. That's just the way it is. There's no avoiding it. Jesus Christ said, doubtless, but that offenses will come. So you can say all you want. I love my church. This is a great place. My preacher's wonderful. My church is all this, that, and the other thing. But sooner or later, if you stick here throughout your lifetime, which I do believe you're supposed to be faithful and committed. I'm not saying that you can't ever leave a church church, or that God never moves you on. I'm, I'm not saying that. Uh, God has led people here from other churches, and that's fine. And God has also taken people from here and put them in other churches, and they've gone to other like-minded churches and done well. That's also fine. That's God's prerogative. But what I don't want to see is a bunch of church hopping. Every two, three, four, five years, you're offended, and you're moving on to another church. 
From day one when we started this church, my desire was to reach people that don't know Jesus Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see God do something organic in this ministry. I love just just seeing folks saved and then just discipling them and watching them grow. That being said, God's changed my heart quite a bit as time has gone on. I began to realize there's a lot of people out there that aren't that are saved that have never heard Bible preaching. They go to a church where they think they're getting Bible preaching, but they've never really been fed the sound doctrines of the Bible. There's Christians out there that need a local church that it can't be like, well, this is our fruit. We led them to Christ and I discipled them and all that thing. I realize that this should be a place for people that love Jesus Christ, that love the Bible, that love old-fashioned preaching, and just want to try to serve God with their life. And if that's who you are and what you want, then this is the place for you. Period. If you've got ulterior motives, then God will hash that out in God's time. And that's what I'm afraid of is ulterior motives. I realize that even in myself sometimes, I have ulterior motives. And when God points those things out to me, i got to be honest enough to say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I'll straighten that up. On top of that, I've realized that although I may be right, and that sounds so arrogant and I don't mean it arrogant, but sometimes it's like I am right. I was right with God. I'm not wrong. I'm doing the right thing. And that is okay, if, especially if God confirms it from the Bible or you've gotten right with the Lord. You were wrong and you've gotten right. Then it's kind of encouraging sometimes to hear, hey, you're doing a good job. You're right. <laughs> it's okay to say I'm right. And sometimes I'm right. I'm trying to do the right thing the right way. And then I'm working with other people. Yeah. And guess what's going to happen? Other people around you will not be right. I will guarantee you this, in a room this size, among those of us that are faithful to God and faithful to church and love our Bibles, there are some Christians in this room right now that are backslidden. I can't look at anybody when I say that because they're going to, did you see he looked at me as soon as he said backslidden? I will guarantee it. I'll say this, sometimes I'm backslidden and I don't even realize it. My relationship with the Lord just begins to grow cold. And I will tell you, when somebody else is backslidden, there are a lot of different things that can begin to happen in their life. And they will wind up oftentimes hurting you when you're trying to do right. You get hurt by somebody else who's not right, not really concerned about doing right at this point. I don't want to see you out of church just because somebody else hurts you. I don't want to see people getting discouraged and the church breaking up when things go down and things happen and things happen in every church everywhere. Somebody you know, became friends with, have grown to love, then they backslide and they're out of church and now all of a sudden you're all kind of like, what am I going to do? You know, one of the number one reasons people say they don't go to church. One of the number one reasons that I've heard personally. All the hypocrites in the church. Some of the nastiest, most bitter people that I've ever met in my life are saved people that have been hurt in church. And so as a result, they don't want to go to church. They have nothing to do with those Christians. And they say, well, I love God and me and God, we're still good. But I just, those church people. Hey, guess what, folks? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every last one of us, even if you're born again this morning, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. 100% free of your sin and clear of that thing. Do you understand what that means? People will say this. How can you say for sure if you died today, you're going, no, you're, that's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard somebody say that you know for sure you're going to heaven. Actually, it's not. It's one of the most humble things a person can ever say. Here's why. You got to know what that means. 
When a man says, I'm 100% sure according to that book that if I die today, I'm on my way to heaven, that means that that man has abandoned everything about himself. He's recognized that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved me. He recognized that he was nothing but a lost sinner in desperate need of Almighty God with nothing he can do to save his own soul. Nothing. No church attendance, no tithe, no nothing, no turning over a new leaf. He knows if he turns over a new leaf, it just rots on the other side. He realizes in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Hey, I'm saying I'm helpless without Almighty God and he sent his son to die on the cross for me and to wash away my sin and I trusted him as my savior and I know if I die today I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. That means my eternal sins are washed away by the blood of God's only begotten son. That's a wonderful thing. But there's a little bit of a problem. The problem has nothing to do with my eternity or my salvation. The problem has to do with my here and now. My soul is eternally saved. Thank God for that. You know where this flesh is going? It's going into the ground. It's going to rot. Do you know why we all die? That's the only reason. When God created you, he created you to live forever. He said, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die to Eve, right? Guess what happened? Death passed upon all for that all have sinned. The reason we all die is we're all sinners. So God leaves a stamp on you even after you're saved. He leaves a reminder on you that you're still a sinner. Even though if you're saved, your sins are forgiven and you'll go to heaven. He reminds you you're still a sinner. You know what that reminder is? The reminder gets bolder and bolder as you get older, by the way. It's like more grays, more wrinkles, more aches and pains, slower getting up and moving through the day, right? That's a reminder. What? That you're still a sinner. Well, I can't believe I'm getting this old. Well, you know why. <laughs> Don't take yourself too seriously. You've got to realize that even though people around you are born again, they're saved, they got the Spirit of God in them, they're still inhabiting sinful flesh. And so are you. That was the point of the introductory message, the dichotomy of the Christian life. We have this new creature inside of us and eternal salvation living in us, and yet we're still stuck in the flesh. And there are a lot of things that the flesh does, and we've seen already, we've seen a competitive spirit that actually does a lot of damage to the church. Envy does a lot of damage to the church. And I'm pointing these things out to you. What we're actually doing is we're really kind of getting a little bit personal. We're being a little raw about human nature. What I I don't want to send the message of in this whole series is this whole self-help and relationships kind of thing, which you get in a lot of churches nowadays. It's like it's all about relationship and, and, you know, helping God, loving God, loving others. And it's so insincere. I'm sorry. Just it's just the way I'm wired. Okay, it's so unrealistic. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I, I believe in being realistic about stuff. And the reality is that we all have a problem. We're all still sinners. We're not looking at this thing in light of, you know, relationship building and trying to be super spiritual. We're looking at the raw reality of human nature and what is going to happen to you in your walk with Jesus Christ and in church and how the devil will get advantage of you to get you bitter, angry, backslidden and out of church. And I want to not just make you aware of that in other people. I want to more importantly make you aware of that in yourself and in myself so that, you know what, I'm not the problem. And I don't become the problem or add to the problem. 
when somebody else is the problem. Does that make sense? A lot of times I'm not the problem, but then when I get hurt, my response to the problem makes the problem worse. And oftentimes the person who was right in the beginning winds up more wrong in the end between them and God because of their response to the mistake somebody else made. What we see in this passage and what I want to look at this morning is a critical spirit. One of the things that will do you a lot of damage in your Christian life, that will do a local church a lot of damage. A lot of people are out of church today. And a lot of people that are in church are in church, and I'm afraid to say that very likely when they stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, it's all going to burn up. And one of those major problems that can rest in the spirit of the man, in the sinful side of a human being, is a critical spirit. Notice in this passage of Scripture, what I find super interesting is is that King David actually begins this passage making a major mistake. We're going to see the the root of a critical spirit, and it's going to start off with David. But before we go there, I want to point out to you that God has been blessing David tremendously. Go back to chapter number 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and look at verse 10. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. How good is that? David went on. Man, I, I want to keep going, don't you? I don't want to be a quitter. I, I, just, I just can't stand being a quitter. If other people want to quit, let them quit. But I don't want to quit, man. I mean, what are you going to quit for? <laughs> to start over again? It's pointless to quit. David went on and grew great. The key to his growing great? The Lord God of hosts was with him. Ain't that amazing, man? I mean, what a blessing to say God's been with me. And, I, and you know what? You know what? God's, God's blessing me. And you know what? My life is not the same as it was. And I'm growing spiritually. And the presence of God is in my life. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for every one of us to be able to say? Amen. Now, be honest. Haven't you been through times in your spiritual life when you could say that? Yes, I'm growing. Amen. That's a great thing. And watch this. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. So, I mean, it's like obvious that God's blessing on all different levels. And David perceived that the Lord has established him king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel's sake. God put David in this spot for Israel's sake. That's important to grab a hold of this morning. God's been blessing this man. God has anointed this man. God has put this man in this position because God wanted to use that man to help out his people. Now the spiritual application, because you're not Israelites, the spiritual application would be God cares a lot about his bride, his church. That's an important thing to God Almighty. And God's been blessing David for the sake of other people. Yes, that was based on David's relationship with God, but God was able to trust David with this position because of his relationship with God. And God picked David because God knew David was a man after his own heart. David would continue to seek God. David would do the right thing and put those people first. I know I said this last week, and by the looks on some of your faces, I I realized you didn't necessarily understand and or agree so I went back and double checked myself I'm pretty sure and I would never argue with you about this this is a non-essential okay I actually was just listening to Dr. Ruckman this week and he said when it comes to a lot of things on the Bible like-minded Bible believers can interpret or see things differently 
on non-essentials. This is one of those. But in my opinion, I don't think that there was a civil war at this point between David and the house of Saul. I don't think that for a lot of reasons, there's just one or two verses that make it sound like it could be, but when I look up the definition of the word between, and you run that definition, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going against. It could mean that between them, they're sharing a particular load. And when you, when you look at David's pattern of behavior, David does not typically wage war on Israelites. I realize that he was going out at one point when he was in Ziklag and he got sent back. He was in a backslidden state at that point and he was really struggling at that point. I think he made a mistake there. But I don't think that once he became the king over Judah that he all of a sudden got this bloodlust or this promotion lust to say, now let's go after the house of Saul because when them guys went in and killed Ishbosheth and came to David thinking that they were going to make David happy, David said, you slew a righteous man in his own bed. Why would David say that if that was his arch enemy? If he'd been declaring war. That doesn't make sense. Secondly, when Abner comes into Saul to, to David to turn the kingdom over to David, David and Abner make a deal, and then you have Joab coming back from a battle with great spoil. The timing of that doesn't line up. If Joab was going out fighting against Israel and bringing a great spoil back to David in a civil war, why was the number one general, Abner, even at the palace for Ishbosheth to be making accusations and then running over to make a deal? Do you understand where I'm at least getting it from? I don't see in my study of David's life that he was ever at a place where he would allow any kind of a civil war, church split to go on, lines to be getting drawn, and be put, in the, put his foot down to get everything he had coming to him. He was a man that said, listen, if God wants my son to have the throne, he can have it. Let's go, fellas. And he had mighty men with him that they were afraid to fight. He said, your father's like a bear robbed of his whelps and he's got some mighty men with him. We better get out there and get serious. And David said, I'm out of here. If God wants me on the throne, God will put me back on the throne. Now, I'll grant you that could have been a change of heart over time. But what I see in David consistently all the way through is you never see him raising a hand against God's people, even if it's a demon-possessed leader like Saul. When God anointed him and when God's people were on the line, David was always ultra-sensitive to God's people. That's why God made him the king. Doesn't make much sense to me. And again, could be possible. But I don't see it that way. That David's out there trying to wipe out Israelites. God's draining the strength of Israel as their house begins weaker and weaker fighting against the Philistines. And God's building the house of David at the same time. And then that thing goes on between uh, Abner and Ishbosheth, and Abner gets mad and comes to turn the king over to David. And then you know what Joab did? We talked about that, where he went and he kills Abner. David was upset about that. David called Abner a righteous man, a good man. He died as a fool. You see the heart of David in taking care of God's people? God established this man. God said, I can trust a guy that won't put people coming after him ahead of my view of the situation. These people are trying to hurt him. They're his enemies. They've been nasty to him for ridiculous. They're lying about him. And he will not put his own agenda ahead of my view of my people. No wonder God loved and blessed that man. No wonder God vindicated him. No wonder God took care of him. He knew when to fight and when to walk away. And it takes a real man to do that. 
Look at verse 13 in 2 Samuel 5. I just want to show this to you because I'm going to refer to it in a minute and I don't want to have to turn back here. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron and there were yet sons and daughters born to David. Now keep that in the back of your head, please. Look down at verse number 25. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. 2 Samuel 5, 25. And smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. You know what David was doing? Faithfully. David was doing what God said to do. Period. We are talking about a very, very good man. Of all the Bible characters... I can pretty confidently say the more I've been spending a lot of time studying his life and the whole progression of it all. Of all the Bible characters, I can confidently say my favorite one outside of Jesus Christ, of course. I know some of you super spiritual people are going to get me on that one. (laughs) Outside of my Savior. David's my favorite. Now, I can find guys in my Bible that are a little more squeaky clean than David. But boy, David just seems real to me. So much of what that man had to deal with and all that was going on and all his different areas of oversight and things he had and all that man, just all the all the plates that are spinning in David's life at all times, all the people he's having to deal with and yet sustaining his walk with the Lord at the same time, God blessing him and growing him, a man who could be an absolute savage when he had to be. When a wolf came in, when a lion or a bear walked in to mess with his little dirty sheep, he would put his life on the line and he won. You know, one of the coolest things about, I mean, I know he's a nasty man, he needs to get saved, but one of the coolest things about Mike Tyson was not that he was the youngest boxing champ in history and all that stuff. It's the fact that he had two tigers. (laughs) No, really. They slept in bed with him. And they, when people would come to visit his house, he'd have to lock them up in their cage. You, you know that? Because you can't trust them. But when he was there, he was the boss. And he could tell you all the different cats and how you can treat them and not treat them and how, why he had those tigers and why he run those tigers because he respected them tigers, but he also let them tigers know he's the boss. And in his head, he was just like, I'll kill you to his, to his tigers. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, res- you just got to at least in a carnal level respect that, okay? If you don't want to respect that, you can die. That's your business, but I respect that. You, got, you understand what I'm saying? David goes right after a lion. Mike Tyson wasn't known a lion. And right after a bear. What a man. And yet he could turn around and walk away when somebody's trying to hurt him and do damage to him and leave it go for the sake of everybody else or for the sake of saying God doesn't want me to hurt that man so whether he hurts me or not I'm leaving him to God and walk away. What a great man. As we've been seeing going through here he prays and says God should I go up? God says yes. What city should I go up to? God says Hebron. God these guys are coming out to battle. Should I go fight them? God says yes. He goes out to fight them. God they're coming out again. Should I go to fight them? God says no. Wait for the sound to go into the mulberry trees and do it this way. He's not only asking God what to do and when to do it but how to do it. And all the way through there, God is blessing David because he's walking with God and getting direction from God in all the things that aren't listed in the Bible. 
do you understand there's a lot of things not listed in the Bible? This is where the critical spirit moves in. Because a lot of us have very strong feelings and convictions about things that aren't necessarily in the Bible. Can I say that David had to pray to God about when to go, where, and what, and how, and why, and he had to know all those specifics for himself and all the areas of leadership that he was responsible for. David needed direction from God in his personal relationship when you can't find a verse, should I sell my house or not? Should I move or not? Should I take this job or not? Is this promotion from God or the devil? There's a million different things like that in life. To vaccinate or not to vaccinate? That is the question. (laughs) That are really neither here nor there when it comes to Bible doctrine, but might be very important for you in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ in your particular life. When God tells you to do something or not do something and you know it's what God wants you to do, that becomes a very self-righteous thing. It is wrong! Okay, maybe God told you, I'm sorry if I just scared you. Maybe God told you not to do that. Maybe it is wrong for you. Then you see brother or sister so-and-so doing something that God told you you can't do. Part of you is probably a little jealous. And part of you might be self-righteous. And all of us will tend to have a critical spirit when somebody else doesn't do something exactly the way we do it. And sometimes we're right and they're wrong, but God hasn't showed him yet because they're not ready to hear it. What's interesting to me is that David wound up with the root of a critical spirit and spreading that root, in my opinion, that root wound up spreading. But I saw David at the beginning of the passage as the issue. What I find so interesting is he's always looking to God for direction on all these super spiritual things, but what he's overlooking is the things that God already made very clear to him in the Bible. The things that are very clear in the Bible are often under-preached, underestimated, underlived, under-backed up, under-practiced in Bible-believing churches. And a whole bunch of tomfoolery is preaching with all kind of vehement vengeance. And God's people get so full of these self-righteous standards of do's and don'ts and what we should and shouldn't do, fighting against the culture of the day and fighting against the politics of the day and overlooking the things God made very clear in the Bible. Like a critical spirit. God made it very clear to David that he should not take Michael back. When David went to get the throne in Jerusalem, when Abner came to make that deal, David said, fine, but you're not going to see my face unless you bring Michael. Remember that? What had happened? Well, we'll get to Michael in a few minutes, but that idiot dad of hers gave her to another man once he caused the problems between her and her husband, who she loved, David. She cracked under the pressure that her daddy put on her because she's the weaker vessel. I say that with all due respect. I don't think women are weak, but she's the weaker vessel. David was sustaining the pressure because God was using the pressure to put David where God wanted David to be so he could handle something that she couldn't handle. And she cracked. 
he goes and he gives her to another man. David says, I'm still burnt about that. I did everything right to get her. She loved me and I loved her. And I'm still mad about that. And David overlooks Deuteronomy chapter number 24. Go there in your Bibles real quick. Deuteronomy chapter number 24. He doesn't do what he's told to do. Because of his own personal hurts. David chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse number 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her. And it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement. And give it in her hand. And send her out of his house. When she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now, show that to some of the brethren that think if a guy's been divorced, he can't sing in the choir or serve as a deacon or pastor of church. Some of these guys think they're so spiritual in their standards that they don't even know their Bible. You can't be more spiritual than the Word of God. And if you think you are, you're adding to it. I don't care what you've heard preached or what you've been taught. We believe the Bible around here. And God's the final authority, not a man or a religious system of any kind. And when she departed out of his house, she may go to be another man's wife. How about that? Okay, if you get divorced, you have to stay single the rest of your life. Where's that in the Bible? Verse 3, And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it into her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which, she should, which took her to be his wife... Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now there it is. But I'll bet you here's what David's brain probably did with that, the same thing yours and mine does. We find a loophole. She didn't displease me. I didn't send her away. But the point of the issue is verse 4. Her former husband sent her away. He can't take her back because she went and was with somebody else. And if he takes her back again, God says that's a defilement. You, you dump him and move on, then you keep moving. You don't go back. That's God's issue. Well, that doesn't make sense. It don't have to make sense. He's God. He must know something about your, about your <laughs> psyche. Let's just say it, that you and I don't realize. And he knows what's best for you. And so he's saying, once that happens, you don't ask her back. David ignored what God actually said to suit his own agenda. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? Because I told you what I think of David. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 17, please. I want you to see something else. Now, I pointed out that verse to you in 2 Samuel 5 and asked you to file it away and remember it, right? Here's why. When David went up to Hebron, what did he do? It says he began to marry more women. Deuteronomy 17, 17, when God's speaking to a king, he says this, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. God said, do not multiply wives to yourself. You know what David did when he came into Jerusalem after seven and a half years of success reigning over Judah? He gets into Jerusalem. You know what he does? He starts multiplying wives to himself. God told him not to do that specifically. So then people will say this, neither shall he greatly multiply. Well, what about Solomon? He multiplied silver and gold. Nope. Not to himself. You see what God said right there? Multiply to himself silver and gold. You know what Solomon did wind up doing? God gave him the silver and gold. 
he started multiplying wives. What adults do in moderation, children will do in excess, my dad always said. His daddy had a few wives. He had a thousand wives and concubines added together. I believe the number was a thousand. You see how that thing works in successive generations? You see why it's important for you to address the things God shows you about you and correct them now? Because we got, you see the youth group up here practicing? You see how many kids are being born in the nurseries right now? The nurseries are filling up again. And the Sunday school classes are filling up again. We got little kids walking around here watching us. And we start getting sideways to one another and bad-mouthing one another and fighting one another and competing with one another and being envious about one another. We ain't make, they're not getting the message that church is about Jesus at all. They're not getting the message that this is the greatest place on the planet to show up with other people that love Jesus Christ and we fellowship together and we're safe here. We get out of the criticism of the world. We get out of all the attacks of the devil, the tribulation and struggles. We come in here and have a great opportunity in unity to have fellowship under the Spirit of God and to help from... They're not getting that message. But they're picking up on all the self-righteous stuff because they do it naturally. It's instinctive in human nature. And they're developing a critical spirit that they're picking up off of mama and daddy and that envious spirit and that competitive spirit. They're picking up on all that stuff because more is caught. I never taught them that. Yes, you did. More is caught than taught. Go back to Numbers chapter 4. I want to show you something else, please. Numbers is right before Deuteronomy and then we'll go back to 2 Samuel. Numbers chapter 4. Look at verses 5 and 6. Here God's given instructions to Israel on what they're to do when the, God moves the camp of Israel forward. When it's time for them to pack up and move, up, move forward in their journeys. And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. They were to cover the ark. They weren't even, they weren't even supposed to be looking at that thing. And shall put it thereon, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. There's staffs that would go up the side there, hooked on some rings, and those staffs were for the priests to actually get underneath that thing and carry that ark. Go down to verse number 15 in Numbers chapter 4. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is, is to set forward. See, they're, they're, they're packing up to move. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. Very specific, unquestionable instructions from God on how to move the ark, right? Yeah. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, please. I'm showing you the root of a critical spirit. David arises in verse number 2, when all the people with him, right? To bring up from thence the ark of God. David's gone on. He's grown great. God's established him. Victory after victory after victory. And with all that's happening in his close walk with God and answers to prayer, what do I do when? And he's doing everything God says to do when God says to do it. And because he's obeying God, everything's working out great. And all the things that he has to pray about. Can I tell you something? 
There are some things, excuse me for this, if you don't understand it, please pray about it, okay? Don't just get mad. There's some things you don't need to pray about. That's a very unspiritual thing coming from a pastor, huh? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, you know, me and the wife, you know, we're going through a rough spot. And, you know, it used to be, and it's just not like that anymore. And, you know, she's changed. And I know I've changed too. And, but, but, you know, I really got chemistry with her. She really understands me. She's been helping me with my marriage over coffee on her lunch break. You know, I just really need to pray about this. You're looking at me like that, but I'm telling you stuff I've heard. You lost your mind? Don't waste your breath praying about something like that. You know what you're going to do? The same thing David did. You're going to find loopholes to justify what you want to do. You're going to say, well, you know what? Technically, she already left me. Emotionally. We're still in the same house, but emotionally she already. So that, you know, if, if the other one, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. And, you know, she, she, not, she already left me emotionally. That's funny, ain't it? That's bizarre thinking, isn't it? I've heard saved people talk like that. What in the world happened to you? I'll tell you what happened. Some things God clearly told you, you have stopped doing and paying attention to. Things you know are clear before God, you're supposed to do it. Put on charity. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you're also called in one body, and be thankful. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Things you're clearly told to do, you stop doing. And because God's still gracious and blesses us, hear me, God's gracious and blesses us in spite of ourselves. Every blessing of my life is in spite of me. I cannot sit back and say, God's done this for me because I, even the good things that I do, I realize I've done them with the wrong spirit sometimes, or the wrong, hey, I recognize what a sinner I am. I got a great God in heaven, and he's blessed me in spite of me. What a God, man. How could you not want to serve him? So just because God's blessing me doesn't mean I have a right to stop doing what God's made clear. And that's the root of David's frustration that becomes a critical spirit. David becomes critical of God. Look at it. They bring the the, the, uh, verse number three. They set the ark on a new cart. Directly disobedience. Brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Not what you're told to do. They bring it out. They come down in verse number 5, and they're having a super spiritual time of it, man. I mean, they're just praising God. David's just on cloud nine. Man, God is blessing. This is all going so great. Look how wonderful this is. Man, my life is finally working out for me. It's awesome. Finally, my breakthrough. God's pleased. I've done it all right. I made it through all those tests, all that bad stuff. I did not kill Saul. I've obeyed God. Finally, I've got the whole kingdom like God said. After years of only having a little peace... And now, man, I'm finally arriving. Woo! Glory to God! And the ark shakes. And Uzzah goes, not the ark! 
And God says, BAM! And Uzzah POP! And David said, what did you do? Because all the dancing stopped, all the singing stopped, all the shouting stopped, all the praising stopped. Because one of their brothers got knocked flat from God. And David looks at it in verse number six, uh, verse number verse number eight, excuse me. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fatter rams. Saul. Well, I thought because I was doing something great for God and I was bringing the ark in and I was trying to use my opportunities to glorify God. Yeah, but you disobeyed what God made clear. You wanted to do it your way and your timing and you screwed it up. The root of the critical spirit was David getting mad at God because God backed up his word. What do you think God's going to do? See, God's not like us. He tells us to be like Him, dads. I know it ain't Father's Day, but I just got to point it out. He tells you and I to provoke not our children to anger lest they be discouraged, right? Well, when God says something, He backs it up. See, you and me, we back it up when we feel like it and when we're not being too lazy, and that's real discouraging for kids. Well, where are the boundary lines? How much He was talking, how much He was legit? God backed it up. You can count on it. When God gives you his word on something, you can count on his word. David messed it up. The root of that bitterness. Notice from there it turns into a rot. Look at verses 6 through 11. When God strikes down Uzzah, David's afraid of the Lord in verse number 9. So not only is, is David uh, 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 um, displeased with God, that's one thing. You know, I've been displeased with God before. Haven't you? Appreciate the honesty. That's one thing. It's another thing where you say, all right, fine. I want nothing to do with it. Now it's not the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, which is clearly defined in the Bible. It's I'm afraid of God. That's different. I want my kids to respect me. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. He says, don't, I don't want that ark anywhere near me. Send it out to the Gittite's house. He sends it over to that guy. Now that, that thing, that critical spirit towards God and why God didn't react the way he thought God was going to. Did you hear me? God doesn't react a lot of times the way you think God's going to react. That's one of the things that strikes the fear in my heart, knowing the terror of the Lord, the fear in my heart about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. When I stand before him to give account of my life, <laughs> God, God's a righteous judge. It's of the utmost important to me, importance to me to know my Bible and to preach my Bible. You know why? Because that's the only place I can find the mind of God outside of visions and shrooms and whatever else they do nowadays to have all these experiences people are having. Somebody says, I saw God, and I heard God, and I heard God's voice, and I saw this vision. I'm thinking, you're a dopehead, man. Yeah. No, really. I, I don't trust none of that stuff. You know, Lucifer could show up like an angel of light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. Yeah, right. I want to know the book. Yeah. 
so I can judge my life based on what God says, and so I can feed you His words, not my own. Something's been eating at me about my own words for a week now, so i got to say it. I used an illustration last week in talking about not... You're, you guys are right. Whoever was decorating up here was talking about glitter. <laughs> that was you, sister. It's, it's, so if it winds up on my face, too, I'm not like that, okay? I just want it public, all right? <laughs> I appreciate the decorations, anyhow. I'm just playing. But the glitter is really here. Anyways, my words... I was using an illustration about how we oftentimes start competing with each other, right? And you get around those people that they, they think their kids are better, better than everybody else's kids. Remember that? Yeah. And grandparents that think their grandkids are better than everybody else's. And I use an illustration like that. It's been bothering me because some of you are like, hey, I want you to meet my granddaughter. Hey, I want you to meet my grand." And that's awesome. Seriously. I want you to meet. You should be proud of your kids and your grandkids. Do you understand that? I sure hope some of you didn't leave here going, oh man, our pastor thinks I'm a... No. No, please hear me. It's the spirit of those people. It's that criticism where I've arrived and mine are perfect and yours don't match up to mine. You understand the point, right? Man, I want to be careful about Mike's words versus God's words because he says every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And I looked up, I found, I think, two different sources. In an hour of public speaking, you're going to speak somewhere between 7,500 and 9,000 words. So I probably speak 12,000 because I talk fast. That's a lot of words. I want to give you that book because I want to help you. I don't want to turn you into what I think you should be. I want you to become what God wants you to be. You better stay in that book. Because I'm telling you right now, you'll do things that are spiritual like David's doing and thinking you're pleasing God and you'll be ticking him off because you're ignoring what he told you already. Yeah. See how practical that is? That's the rot of a critical spirit. It's a, it's a disregard for the holiness of God. We'll talk about this some more tonight. I'm going to show you in Revelation. We're, we're talking about the word of God quite a bit tonight. A disregard for the holiness of God is laying hands on something that God esteems to be special and holy to Him. One of those things is your Bible. We'll come back to that tonight. The other thing is His church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Take heed unto yourselves and unto the, uh, and, and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. We'll talk about that tonight. It's the blood of God. Jesus Christ was God. He owns this thing, not me and not you. So what's the, what's, how's the church run? What's the leadership like? Is it a deacon board? <laughs> no, man. This is a theocracy. Amen. And, and if you want to plug us in, we're a republic. We run by the rule of law. What's the book say? Period. God loves the church. You and I shouldn't be putting our hands on it. I'll get to that in a second. I had a thought I was going to give you, but I'll get to it in a second. Notice then David's, Uzzah's disregard for the holiness of God and David's displeasure with God causes David to miss the blessing in verses 11 and 12. I'm sorry, 10 and 11. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. 
And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You know, David could have hit a knee right there next to Uzzah, got things right, turned it all around, called up the priest, covered the ark, put the stabs in, carried it out to his house, and got a blessing where he wanted it for God's people. Instead, because of his criticism of God's reaction, he missed out on a blessing for three months. Has that ever been you? Well, I thought when I tithed, God laid it on my heart to start giving, and I started giving, and then my tires went out, and my furnace went out, and I just don't know why God... You never stop to think that you're saying maybe something the devil did to you, or just life did to you. You're blaming it on a holy God. Your critical spirit of God is going to cause you to miss a blessing. Now let's get to the last point so we can get out of here. Look at verses 16 through the end of the chapter. When David goes and and recognizes that God's God's blessed house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, David gets things right. And that's what every one of us ought to do. He goes and gets it all right. And once he gets it all right with God, he does it the right way. And, and, and if you want to look that up later for the sake of time, I can't now, but you can look at First Chronicles chapter 15 and you can see David telling them, we didn't do it after the due order. This time we're doing it after the due order. Yeah. And so they got it all right. They went back and they did it all right. They transported the ark the right way and they're coming into town and they're singing and they're rejoicing. And verse number 14, David's offering, uh, 13, he's offering sacrifices every six paces, man. And, and he's dancing before the Lord. He's girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house, verse 15, bring up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. This time their spirituality God is honoring because they're not just being spiritual. They're being spiritual the way God said to be spiritual. They're recognizing and following the things God made clear. And then they're enjoying the spiritual side to it like a beautiful frosting on the top of the cake or a cherry on top of the pie. You understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry, but the guts and the nuts and bolts and the skeleton and the strength of your walk with Jesus Christ has to do with doing what He says. And then all the nice, fun, happy, fellowship, high praise, hallelujah, good times, that's just added on top of doing it the right way. You live in a generation of Christians that have that all backwards. It's praise and worship, praise and worship, praise and worship, self-help with a couple verses in there. And the lights are off, so you can't even look and see if the guy's telling you the truth or that verse is even in context. We turn the lights on because I'm not intimidated. we got nothing to hide. We're teaching the book. You can ask any question you want to ask, and I don't take it as a challenge. And if you don't agree with me, let's be big boys and big girls and go, okay, well, see you later. I mean, we're not talking about the deity of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, the King James Bible. We're not talking about rightly dividing. We're talking about something stupid that you're making a, a, a stand on, or I'm making a stand on, based on a critical spirit. You're told specifically not to dote about questions or strifes of words. Specifically told that. Well, what you said was stupid. Well, thank God it wasn't doctrinally off. You do my job in 15 years like I do it and see how many stupid things you say. You know, I don't even, I don't even agree with myself all the time. You know that? I'm 100% serious. I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was the most idiotic thing. Why in the world did I say that? I know better than that. I made myself look like a biblical midget. I mean, what's my problem? So the spiritual, the nuts and bolts are more important. 
Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So the people departed, everyone to his house. See that? David cared about them. Man, what a, what a great leader. He cared about They were important to him. It's not one of these, well, you know, it used to be around here, it's like, man, this church is full of young men. That was a phase for a little while for us. And, and then the phase was, well, this is a family church. You know, you know what I want, the new phase? I just want to make it public. Here's the new phase. This is a church for anybody that loves the Bible and wants to hear it preached. I don't care if you're tall, short, fat, skinny, uh, black, white, red, brown, purple, green, or orange. I could care less. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what background you're from. I could care less about your social status. I could care less if you have money or if you're a multimillionaire. It doesn't matter to me either way. I said either way. If you're a multimillionaire and I'm like, hi, how are you? What does that tell you? I don't care. That's terrible, isn't it? No, I don't. I hope that we look like the League of Nations on Sunday morning in the next few years. You see how many of them are moving into our area? We ought to accurately reflect our area. There's more and more Asians around here all the time. There's more and more Middle Easterners around here all the time. I think we should start seeing them filling this place up. And don't think for a second that because they're Asian or Middle Eastern or black, I'm going to be like, extra special attention. Isn't that kind of insulting? This church is a church for people that love Jesus Christ, love the Bible, and want to hear the Bible preached boldly and straight. If that's what you want, this is a place for you. David cared about the women as well as the men. Man, now we got the youth group and it's full of girls. We got a few of you guys. Keep hanging in there, man. The more guys will come sooner or later. But <laughs> I love it, man. I just love seeing God do whatever God's doing. So in verse 19, he blesses the people, takes care of them. In verse 20, Job, David returns to, his, to bless his household. David didn't forget about his personal home. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly couldn't have covered himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will be yet more vile than thus, and will be base in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. You see the critical spirit? My heart, listen, my heart goes out to Michael. She was dead wrong. I mean dead wrong. But you think about being her. You know what she's been doing for a long time? She's been hiding her feelings. Her dad was a demon-possessed psychopath. 
her dad put her up at auction to get some young men to risk their lives in battle. You imagine how that girl felt? Can you just stop for a second and think about how she felt? She loved David. David loved her. Her dad kept using her as a pawn causing problems between her and her husband. David was man enough to deal with it. Michael was woman enough to deal with it. Saul finally gives her to David. Then Saul runs him off. She come into David saying, you better split, man. He's going to kill you. And she puts a bolster in the bed to hide it and trick her dad into thinking he's still in the bed. And when her dad comes in and puts the pressure on her, she says, he threatened to kill me. She cracked under the pressure and lied about him. You know what Michael should have done? Listen to me. Michael should have done the same thing Jonathan should have done. Now, I mentioned that last week, too, and I went back and I confirmed I'm right on that. Jonathan should have abandoned Saul and went with David. Some of you are going to let your family, because they're blood, sink your ship. And you're going to wind up a critical, miserable, nasty Christian because you won't cut mama's apron springs. Now, I know I just preached blasphemy to a lot of people, but I don't care. It's Bible. My preacher said, don't ever forget this. Blood's thicker than the Bible. He's talking to me about that in pastor and people. Don't forget, blood's thicker than the Bible. In other words, the truth applies when it's everybody else, but when you're dealing with that individual and it's truth and you're right, family will stick with them against the truth. And that'll sink your, sink your ship. Michael should have said, Dad, you know you're wrong. You know he's right. You know God's anointed him. You're going after him for no good reason. And I'm not putting up with it. He's my husband. And if you want to be right with me, you got to get right with him. And until then, I love you. And God willing, God willing, we'll get this worked out soon. But the ball's in your court, Dad. Well, honor your father and mother. I'm honoring you. What do you think that means? doesn't mean a 40-year-old obeys their mama and daddy like they're still living at home. Well, you're coming over this day and this time. and That's manipulation, and they use Bible to do it. Honoring them means let them make their own decision. Dad, if that's what you want to do, you can do that. But here's where I'm drawing my lines. And she should have gone with David. That was her husband. And Jonathan should have been with him. And they both wound up cursed to God because they were like Christians that wouldn't take the stand they should have taken. You got to deal with the heat. You got to make the tough decisions and stand by them and let God work things out in God's time because you'll be shocked at how God can and will work things out, but we get in his way. So now she's had this whole deal and then her dad gives her off to another guy. And boy, when David comes and says, give me Michael, that man's coming behind her and he's weeping and he's weeping and he's weeping. He loved her. Now, what woman wouldn't appreciate a man that she feels like really loves her? And she gets ripped away from him and sent back to David. Now she's frustrated. She's looking out the window and he's coming back dancing and all on cloud nine. And he's just, but God is so good. And she's sitting there like, look at him acting like a fool. The roots and the rot of your critical spirit will first run in here before it ever comes out here. And the real problem is not what somebody else is doing. The real problem is you. You might even be the victim 
But a lot of victims destroy their own life because of what somebody else did to them. Because somebody else, like Saul, had a very critical spirit. And David had developed one toward God because David made some mistakes. And she's getting impacted by their decisions and she's allowing them to affect her. Is this making sense? So then he walks in and she says, you acted like, and she hides it behind a super spiritual thing. You acted like a fool in front of all them young girls. Jealous. You know, act like a king. He said, I don't care to be the king. I didn't make myself a king. I'll care to glorify God and I'll do it the way God wants me to do it and I'll lift up God's name and they'll have me in more honor because I'll put God first. And he said, you're wrong, woman. And then God judges her and says, all right, now you can't even have a baby because of a critical spirit. You know what God cares about? You've got to stop for a second now. Think about it from Michael's perspective. God cares about Michael. But God also cares about David. God cares about his people. We don't have time to turn there, but if you did later, go look at Romans chapter number 14. God tells us in Romans 14 to leave each other alone. When somebody else doesn't agree with you on something that's not clearly outlined in the Bible, now I don't have time to develop everything I'm saying, so you get the point. Things are clearly outlined and we're, supposed, we're told to judge those things, right? But about stuff that ain't clearly outlined in the Bible, how somebody else raises their kid, runs their marriage, deals with their family, what they wear and don't wear, what they weigh and don't weigh, all the way, you just go on down the list of all the things we look at and criticize each other about. When you start messing with God's bride, he says, you need to shut your mouth. Every one of us shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and every one of us will give account of ourself to God. We're not here to pick at each other. We're not here to worry about each other. We're here to let God work on us. And if you develop a critical spirit, you may wind up self-destructing. David went on, had lots of kids and tons of success in his future because when he realized he was wrong and he got critical of God, he hit his knees, he got it right, he went back where he had left off and he said, I'm getting this right, God, and now that I got it right, we're going to do it the right way. And God showed up in his grace and mercy, forgave the whole thing, and God blessed it. Michael never hit her knees. And her criticism ruined her. I don't want a critical spirit. And I'll tell you, I've been way too critical, way too much in my life. God's doing a work on some people that I might criticize. And if I don't get that under control, I might be the cause of them never seeing what God's trying to do in their life. Some people you're criticizing today won't be the same person a year from now. Get your hands off of God's work and let God work on you. Let's stand on our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know the drill. The altar is open. If you want to come talk to God, it's here. If you want to stay in your pew, that's also your, your prerogative. No pressure, but I don't want to...